Would y'all join me in praying together? Heavenly Father, may we know your name as the greatest name. Much, much greater than our names or the name of a local church, but uh, the name of Jesus. Not only does it bring comfort, but it heals. It brings forgiveness. It brings us through times of suffering. It gives us peace. May we see that. May we know that in our hearts, in our minds, in our words, in our actions. May we trust in your word. The word of God. The word is your son. And what you've done for us. As we look into your word now, speak to us. Uh, break down any walls or, or anything that's holding us back or any thoughts about uh, lunch or a football game or, or what we've got going on that your word and your spirit can speak to us, your people, clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. You can have a seat. If you would, you can uh, take a Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, uh, it's one of Paul's letters, small letter in the back of the Bible. As you're getting to it, I'm going to just give a little intro on what we'll be talking about today and over the next couple weeks. Uh, As it is a new year, uh, a lot of us are thinking about changes that we want to make, and it's very common for you to hear either me or at another church say, you know, Jesus can change your life. Uh, And a lot of times, and look, I'll fault myself for this, it's going to be very generally said, okay, well, Jesus can change my life, but you know, preacher, how? I mean, give me, give me some nuts and bolts. I mean, practically, how does he change our lives? How does he change our lives in, in dating or, or in a job or uh, in leisure time or in our hobby? How does he change our life? And God really put on my heart and the heart of staff that we would start this new year by answering that question, how does Jesus change my, as in your, life? And we're going to look at different things each Sunday, uh, things as common as boredom and as important as purpose, uh, as things like suffering, forgiveness, happiness, love, and we're going to start today with something that uh, really we all live for and seek, and that is approval or being liked. Now you may say, man, I, I really, you know, I don't care about being liked. Well, we all care about being liked by, by somebody, by someone whose eyes we deem are important. Yeah, it may not be everybody, but, but there's somebody, maybe just be one person, that we want approval from. We want them to like us. So before I get more into that, I want to read this, uh, this passage. Uh, it's, it's very familiar. I know some of you know it well. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 18, if you'll follow me says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We'll stop there. Now, very often this passage is used really as, uh, as a defensive mode. You know, we're going to put on the armor to defend ourselves against the arts and the arrows and the jabs and the gossip and things that the devil will throw at us through folks that we certainly don't need their approval from, but it comes. And uh, if you're like me, you've had experiences like that. And you've even said, and I've been told, you know, put on the armor of God and, you know, you quote the helmet and use the word as your sword and, and all that. So I want to turn this around today, though, and instead of talking about what we wear as defensive, use it as offensive. And many of you football fans uh, like me, I mean, I think the best defense is a good offense. So we're going to try to turn this passage around and make it where it is, and we are, on the offensive. But first, let's define the problem. The problem is we want to be liked. Uh, all of us do, by somebody, not by everybody. Maybe, by, maybe you're one of those that wants to be liked by everybody. But approval... And, you know, it, uh, you know, it manifests itself in many different ways. I'm going to use a couple situations. Say you're on a date, and, you know, you want this person to like you. So what happens is often we will cover up or we'll hide our, our blemishes or our weaknesses. These could be physically, uh, anything from, you know, you will cover your blemishes maybe on your face or you say, I have to look a certain... And guys do this too. It's not just the females. Guys say, you know, I want to look this way, so I'm going to wear some clothes that will you know, make me look sharp and you know, cover up guys, you know, that weight problem and everything. Or, you know, I want to look a little bigger. So, you know, but we, we dress ourselves up, and we want approval. We literally frame ourselves. I was hearing a, uh, a news broadcast of a politician who got in some trouble this week, and the quote was that, you know, he always has framed himself. And that really struck me with the sermon that, yeah, we all try to frame ourselves like, like a frame, you know, in a portrait. That, you know, this is the way we look and, and we're presentable and this is how, you know, we, we live and we do it because we want people to like us. We want their approval. So, so back to the day, you know, you'll hide your blemishes, you'll, you'll dress this way, and you also want to frame your life. Uh, you know, I, I like to say, that a lot of us live, and I've lived this way, you know, we live like we're, you know, $25,000 millionaires. Uh, to translate, I mean, someone makes $25,000, but they live like they're a millionaire. And so, you know, on a date, you know, you'll take a, okay, I'm a guy, a girl and splurge. You know, we don't do the, uh, we don't take her to dollar beer night, uh, which some of us have done before. I see some of you guys back there I know of. But we will, you know, frame ourselves, me too, okay? And I got a second date out of it. But anyway... We will, uh, not my wife, it wasn't her. I tried to impress her, we won't go there. So, stop while you're ahead. We frame ourselves, and we say, okay, we want to, you know, give a nice night. And the thing is, if we like somebody, and they don't approve of us, man, we can be shattered. I mean, just get honest. And it's such a sense of shame, that, you know, we didn't, we didn't live up. We didn't meet his or her expectations. You feel shame, real shame. Another situation, uh, you know, we all kind of live in FOMO, fear of missing out. 
And uh, we want to go to the right parties and, and look the right way. And, you know, y'all get invited to, to parties or weddings or receptions. And one time, I think I was invited to like a reception of a reception at a party or something like that. I don't go to many of those. And it was at the Jackson Country Club. Don't go to many weddings there, but it was there. And I could have sworn the invitation said dressy casual, uh, which when I talked about it, it was like Jackson Country Club. It's like, yeah, no tie. And she was like, yeah, no tie. You know, make a statement. And I was like, yeah, surely there'll be people there with no tie. And go to this reception, and man, I mean, I'm like the only one you know, with no tie. And I'm thinking of it, and, you know, I even made, you know, another probably fashion faux pas. You know, you could see the t-shirt. And, I mean, I'm thinking all these things. And, you know, so I'm in there, and this was years ago. My wife smiles, she remembers it. And, I, and I'm, like, paralyzed. You know, I'm like, I'm the only one without a tie here. And it's, uh, you know, I'm walking through, and I can't even have this conversation. A long time ago. I mean, like, six months ago. And we, you know, I'm like, <sighs> but... You know, I don't know if you ever felt that way, but you go somewhere and you feel, I'm underdressed or I'm overdressed. And it's because, you know, this sense that we desire to be liked, to, to be, uh, to muster up, to be approved. Uh, not only is it dating or parties, I mean, it gets, into our, it gets into our social media lives. Facebook and the founders or directors, they have made millions on a very simple desire of human nature to be liked. It gets into neighborhoods and where we live, Northeast Jackson or Madison or Rankin County. My wife loves to ask if she meets somebody from out of town. It's like, well, how do you find Jackson? Always the same response. Kind of tough to break in here. And, and many of you know that can be true. We want to be approved in this clique, in this supper club. <laughs> want our kids to be approved. So we start early. You know, they got to be in that right soccer league or basketball league or baseball league. Got to go to those right birthday parties. Or you know, then they won't come to our birthday parties. And maybe our kids will miss out on these very important relationships to meet this clique if they decide to come back here in, you know, 20 years or whatever. Y'all know how it rolls. We want to be liked. Even, and let's just get really honest, okay, want to be approved in our work. And so everything you, like, see up on this stage... Getting really honest, you know, we, uh, we want to be approved, you know, by you. And everything from sermon to music to, you know, standing up connect time or people talking, you know, we're thinking, you know, how to say that, you know. After lunch, every Sunday, we usually go to Nukes. My kids love Nukes. But I'm sitting with my wife often. I was like, well, what do you think of the service? It's like, no, 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 no. I was like, you know, really, I mean, you know, what do you think of the sermon? And... Two weeks ago at Christmas, she said something, man, it just rocked my world. I shared it with staff, it rocked their world. And not just she rocks my world, well, she rocks my world, but she said, John Hugh, if you would be less concerned with how you did and more concerned with how good the gospel is you're preaching, your preaching would change. Like, whoa, you know, heavy stuff there, you know, life change, it is. And I told Chris, and Chris was like, whoa, you know, Chris would go, whoa, and, uh, and Joe's same thing. He's like, man, that's a lesson. And it is. And we, we talk about this in staff, you know, trying to balance this. You know, we, we believe in authenticity here, community here, mission here, and balancing what we call the three Ps, uh, production, performance, um, perfection, balancing those. And it's this balance in our human nature. It's just, it's just wanting to be liked. So that's the problem. The root of the problem, real quick, is our pride. Our pride, our human 
pride. Uh, we all have it. And pride is just total focus on the self. You know, you go to work or you go to school or you go to a party and like, you know, how am I benefiting here? You know, what am I getting? What's my angle? Do I need to talk to this person or do I need, you know, move away from this? It's, it's pride. C.S. Lewis, uh, whom I love, uh, and it always, you know, makes it look, you know, I guess deeper in some way that I quote him, but it, not that it's that deep, but he defined pride as the ceaseless, unsmiling, total concentration of the self. Ceaseless, unsmiling, actually I also said unsleeping, total concentration of the self. And pride manifests itself in many ways, in different ways in our life. I really believe there's two types of pride. There's inferior pride and superior pride. Inferior pride is often, we don't think, well, that person's not prideful at all. He really doesn't think well of himself. Inferior pride is, is a thinking, well, I need their approval. I need to be liked by this group. You know, I need to go to this party. I live in FOMO because I'm not good enough or I'm not you know, pretty enough or I don't have you know, the right job or I'm not, I don't have enough money, but I'm inferior, so I've always got to be striving to, uh, to get this person's or people's approval. And, you know, often we say, well, they're humble. No, they're, they're still always thinking about themselves. They just think they're in fear, and they're always concentrating on themselves. The other type of pride is superior, which that's what we often recognize as pride, is, you know, better than thou or holier than thou or, you know, highfalutin or, you know, whatever you want to call it. They desperately need this approval, too, because they got to at least stay in their mind on top of everybody else. And so pride can, can really flesh itself out in those ways. It's maybe some of you here feel like you know, you're not up to snuff. Maybe some of you think you're highfalutin. It's both, are, both are the sin of pride. The opposite of pride, though, is humility. Humility. And humility... And you may think, well, that's just, you know, humility is a weak person, humble. No, no, no. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Have you ever met a really humble person? Here's how you'd know. That person is, like, genuinely happy and genuinely very interested in you. You know, folks I'm talking about, have you ever met someone that's really humble? Do you want to live that way? Do you want that? I would love that. Genuine happiness. And interested so much in the other person. I want that. I want you to have that. I want our church to be like that. And it can be. So that's the problem. And the root of the problem, what's the answer? Well, the simple answer is Jesus. You know, you said Jesus can change your life. The answer is, is Jesus. So get Jesus and you'll change. But How? If I were you, I would ask. He's like, preacher, you say that I go to Jesus. How is he the an- how is he the answer for you know curbing my desire to be liked, or curbing my need for approval, or changing me from a very prideful person into a very humble person? How? Well, that's what we want to try to get on. So back to Scripture, Ephesians six, and it's a wonderful passage. It is both defensive and offensive, but I want to focus on one verse today, and it's verse fourteen, and it's actually part of that verse. It's actually really just three words. It says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Focus on breastplate of righteousness as part of this armor that we can wear 
by Jesus in the power of God. Breastplate of righteousness. It's like, breastplate of righteousness. What does that, what does that mean? Well, it really means two things. First off, the breastplate. That was the, I mean, that was the main frontal covering, you know. Not the helmet, not the belt. I mean, it was, it's what you could easily see first of as you're looking at a person. I mean, it's their, like their shirt, the breastplate. So it was the clothes that someone wore. Then righteousness. Righteousness, you know, like I just see that word. I'll be honest. Like I don't, that's not a word that I just love, you know, like because I think righteousness, I think somebody who is superior, I think someone, you know, a righteous person that just, you know, holier than thou. I mean, we have a very negative uh, definition in our minds of righteousness. Well, that is not what this word means. Stay with me here. Literal Greek translation. That word righteousness literally means approval. Approval. So what Scripture's saying in this one verse is when you take on this armor that Jesus gives, you are wearing the clothing of approval. Approval of the only eyes that truly matter. That of your heavenly Father. The clothing of His approval. You are wearing approval of Jesus. Clothing actually ties into the whole Bible. Uh, and here's how. You start in Genesis 2. Genesis 2.25 it says Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. It's always been a weird verse to me. Genesis 2, they were naked and they were not ashamed. What was that? Well, it meant that they were in this perfect relationship with God. They could stand before God and they weren't ashamed. Then Genesis 3 said immediately they were ashamed and they clothed themselves. They put on clothes. And it's just like us. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I could stand before God and I'd feel some shame. I'd feel very ashamed. And I wouldn't want Him to see my blemishes. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's physical. Maybe it's personality. Talk too much or talk too little. Or what I've done. And we have this shame that we want to cover and hide. And it's the same shame that we feel even on dates or even going to parties. I mean, we want to hide our... We want to frame our lives so that we can be liked by eyes that really in the long run do not matter. But that's how, that's how we've carved up. That's what sin has done to us. Clothing, though, continues to matter. Stay with me. Through the Bible, if a king in Scripture gave a person his garments, his robe, it wasn't just he was giving him the robe for a physical covering. He was giving him his kingdom. Giving someone your robe meant I'm giving you part of the kingdom. So, if you look in Scripture, Pharaoh and Joseph, on in Genesis, not going there, but Pharaoh gives Joseph his robe, which meant, I'm giving you, Joseph, my kingdom. David, and many of us love, his best buddy Jonathan gave David his robe and said, I'm giving you this robe. But he also was saying, I'm giving you my kingdom, David, because I love you so much. Here's the deal. You have a king. We have a king who loved you so much that he allowed himself to be stripped naked. First, coming out of heaven and saying, I'm going to leave my heavenly powers and come to earth for you. And then physically and literally stripped on the cross so that he could give you his garments and clothing and robe of approval and love, acceptance, approval, being liked by him, by the only eyes that will ever matter in the here and now and in eternity. That's what Jesus did. And He gave us His righteousness, which means approval. 
So how do you get it? The problem, the root of the problem, the answer is Jesus. goes all the way through Scripture. How do you get that? Well, first you've got to receive it. You've got to receive it. You're like, I know that, I know that. No, here's what we don't know. It is a, and I, I really hate this word, but it, it is what it is. It's a passive receiving. It's not active. And I, I'm an active guy. I know many of y'all are active. You know, we've got our to-do list. We're going to get it done. With Jesus, it's passive. What that means is we know he did all the work. And when you receive it, we say, yep, I know, Jesus, you've done all the work. I know you've developed the only approval that will ever matter in my life, and I can wear it. I'll receive it. Some of you are still going, okay, man, but seriously, like how? Because some of us like, can't receive, and we've got to continue to do and do and do. Well, let me make it easier for you. There are two voices going on in your minds, maybe constantly, but definitely you know, one after the other. Two voices, always, your entire life, you will hear one of these two voices and maybe both. I promise you, you will. One voice is, I mean, and it could easily be like angel, devil, because one is the devil. One is the devil. And he's whispering in your ear. He's saying to you in this voice, saying, you are not worthy. You are very blemished. Sin has totally corrupted you. You're unclean. You, you don't matter. Therefore, move away from God. You really don't need Him. And you really need to get approved uh, by this person or this party or this club or this area or this clique. Or you really need your kids because you've missed out. So if your kids can get into this school or get into this fraternity or sorority or get into this deal, you're going to be okay devil's voice, and you will move more and more away from Jesus to find approval in those people, and you'll always be disappointed. The other voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit, and he begins by saying the same thing, you know, yeah, you've sinned, there's some things we've got to get right, but move to Jesus, move closer and closer to Jesus, move to Jesus. How do you distinguish between the voice of the devil and the voice of the Holy Spirit? One pulls you away from Jesus, the other moves you to Jesus. So how do you receive? Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Move to Jesus. How do you receive it? Don't trust in your frame and how you frame it. Don't trust in other people's frames. I love the old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. You ever thought of the words? I love the words of these old hymns. I can't sing them, but I love the words. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Love that. The sweetest frame. We all try to develop the sweet frame that we can live in. Or, you know, it's like the white picket fence. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Jesus, you will find the approval you've always sought, the approval you've always needed, and you can rest in His peace, and you can move into these relationships and groups, and schools, and work with the peace of saying, I've got this serenity. I don't, you know, I don't need the approval of other folks, but I'm going to live in humility, and I'm going to be interested in you because God's been interested in me, and He's done and given me what I could never, what I, I could never get on my own. Our closing song is going to be, I Surrender All. We played that often. Uh, it is, you know, you can look at that song as a very general song. You know, I surrender all. I surrender my life. I mean, you know, Sunday school answer, surrender your life to Jesus. Receive. We're really trying to break it down today. 
It's not just receiving. It's listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and moving to Jesus. It's not just general surrender. It's saying, Jesus, I want to surrender my pride. I want to surrender to you this desire to be liked by certain people, whomever those people are. I want to surrender to you just this need for approval from others. I want to surrender to you trying to frame my life in this perfect way when you've already given me the perfect frame in Jesus. I want you to surrender the desire to be just of, of pride and selfishness and thinking about ourselves and saying, Jesus, I just want to think about you and I'll receive and believe what you have given me. That's what surrender is. Surrendering these hard things. That's peace. That brings humility. That brings real change. That's how Jesus can change our life. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank You that Jesus has done what we could, uh, we could never ever do on our own. And our prayer, my prayer, uh, is that we would receive it. And we receive it by believing it. And believing it, we say, you know, all these folks that I see that I need their approval, the only approval I need is from you, Father, and you've given it to me and what Jesus has done. So that is how our lives change, by, by moving to Jesus. I pray we'd resist the voice of the devil. I, I pray we'd resist those whispers and we'd move more into what the Holy Spirit tells us and that we can live in serenity and strength and that humility is not a weakness, it is power, because we rely on You, Jesus, and not on ourselves. So I pray this for my life. I want that. I pray this for the people in here, their life, and for the life of this church. Help us, Father. Help us to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>